This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Our nation is struggling right now through various economic, health, and political trials, and patriotic Americans have a lot of opinions on how to get out of this downward spiral. But what do the Marxists think about it all? Well, the International Marxist Tendency, described as a revolutionary organization that works for the overthrow of capitalism and a socialist future for humanity, writes this on its website, quote, it is becoming increasingly clear that capitalism has exhausted its progressive potential. The USA is passing through a social and political crisis that has no precedent in modern times. And by harnessing the colossal potential of science and technology, freeing them from the abominable shackles of private ownership and the nation state, it will be possible to solve all the problems that oppress our world and threaten it with destruction. Real human history will only commence when men and women have put an end to capitalist slavery and taken the first steps toward the realm of freedom. So Marxism is freedom. It is Orwellian newspeak, to be sure. And history shows nothing could be further from the truth. And yet to varying degrees, but in increasing numbers, young Americans are buying into the old lie of Marxism. And Americans in the age of COVID-19 also seem increasingly comfortable with totalitarianism against their fellow Americans. It's why we need to go back and examine some of the deadliest men of the 20th century who promised freedom, but delivered tyranny. So we're going to talk about it today with historian Dr. Donald Critchlow. He is the cat and family professor at Arizona State University and leads the program in political history and leadership there, providing students with a robust civic education. He's also the author of several books, including his latest, which is called Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. And Dr. Critchlow, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, and please call me Don. Okay. Well, very good, Don. Thank you for being with us. What are your thoughts when you're looking around at this increasing seduction, as it were, of young Americans on totalitarianism and even Marxism? How could this happen in a nation that was birthed in real freedom? Yeah, well, uh, the reason I wrote Revolutionary Monsters, which focuses on Lenin Mao, Castro, Mugabe, who was in Zimbabwe, and Khomeini, is uh, when I saw uh, one poll that showed that 52% of young Americans approve of socialism, and then I saw another poll that said 20% of young Americans think that private property should be abolished and owned by the state. Wow. So I wanted to uh, awaken them to the tragedies that have come about when people start talking about complete social equality and complete... And, uh, and creating the perfect uh, man, whether it's the perfect uh, socialist man or the per- any per- type of perfect person on this uh, earth. So that's what inspired me to 
make my small contribution to what you're talking about, fighting back and retaking and uh, preserving uh, America. That is just extraordinary. I wonder how those 20% would react if I tried to take away their iPhones, if they would think that private property shouldn't be in existence. I, I would imagine they'd have a problem with that in reality. Yeah, well, I think they would have a real uh, problem if you if they ever got their uh, their uh, so-called uh, revolution and perfect society. Because what we see in each of the cases is uh, in revolutionary monsters is that these uh, these people, Lenin, Mao, Castro, Mugabe, and Khomeini, all uh, promised uh, social equality. And uh, it ended up in, in such uh, tragedy. So what, uh, uh, what I tried to do in a very short 200-page book, primarily aimed at uh, younger readers, but hoping that uh, parents and grandparents will give it to their uh, children and uh, grandchildren, is really uh, awakening uh, our youth to uh, some real history, which ought, they're not being taught in K through 12 at most universities these days. That's right. It is a great read for anybody of any age. I can attest to that. When we're talking... Yeah, it really is. When we're talking about these revolutionary monsters you write about, and I want to get into all of them in detail in just a moment here, but when we're looking at how they lured the masses with their great talk of a perfected society and equality and all of the sweet talk that they offer up front, and then the fine print shows that it's all about terror and murder murder and persecution, etc. And we know what the history of communism is in particular, although young Americans largely don't. Why do you think, yeah, I mean, why do you think that young Americans right now seem to be hungry for a revolution? I mean, what are they buying into and why are they buying into this, these lines that have been tried throughout history and were always a lie? Yeah, what, what, what we see in all the, uh, uh, these revolutions, uh, revolutionary monsters, is uh, first bad ideas creeping into their uh, society. So uh, already in Russia, we see in 18, uh, by the 1860s, 70s, uh, Marxism is becoming uh, seeps in. Early China, 19, uh, early 1900s, Mao and Castro's uh, Cuba. Uh, Marxism has become the prevailing uh, thought in anti-colonialism. Similarly, in Mugabe, you get uh, in Rhodesia, young people were uh, reading anti-colonialism. And uh, so the first step, the pattern in all these uh, revolutions, and I think we're experiencing kind of a quiet revolution right now, one from the top, is the bad ideas seep into the, uh, among the the young and uh, with intellectuals. And then the second uh, pattern we see is that the ruling elites uh, in these uh, societies have lost, lost confidence in themselves. They understand that they're uh, corrupt, only concerned about uh, money and, and, uh, and power. And so right now we're experiencing, unfortunately, and, and rather uh, and frightened, and, and we should be all be frightened by this, yep. is the creeping in of bad ideas and a ruling elite in our country uh, from uh, corporations, uh, uh, educators, media, entertainment, and now even corporations who 
uh, dismiss our very foundational uh, principles uh, and denounce America by being systematically racist, and our Constitution is really a social construction to preserve uh, slavery and white power. So they're projecting this kind of loss of confidence in our foundational principles, and they know that they're uh, greedy, only concerned about uh, power and making money, even if it involves working with adversaries such as uh, China. Yep, you're right about that. Going to Vladimir Lenin, let's talk a little bit about him. The Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 in the former USSR was obviously a game changer, had horrible reverberating effects. Terror was very much a part of the Soviet Empire. What can you tell us about him that people need to know that they might not know in in the way that he was able to achieve what he did, even though it was a very evil achievement? Well, with Lenin, uh, like uh, Mao, Castro, Mugabe, and... Khomeini, uh, they're all university uh, educated. Uh, they all uh, begin to, uh, they all show narcissistic displays as uh, children. Uh, and Lenin uh, grows up uh, in, a, in a really a aristocratic uh, family. His grandmother owns a large, uh, uh, a large uh, uh, plantation, I think we would call it, with serfs. Uh, so he's not coming from the uh, peasant class. And the turning point for him is when his brother is arrested and executed for trying to execute the czar. Yes. And Lenin begins reading what his older brother, who went to school, university to become a scientist, begins up the terrorist. And Lenin very early commits himself to terrorism. Uh, and conceives of, uh, of a very well-disciplined uh, party that uh, can take power in, uh, in, in any upheaval. And that's exactly what he does. And the, the, Rus- the so-called Russian Revolution, Bolshevik Revolution, is more of a coup d'etat. It's uh, only a few uh, members, perhaps a thousand, in St. Petersburg, and they seize power in this this revolutionary uh, situation. Yep, we're going to take a short pause. We'll come back with Dr. Donald Critchlow. His book is Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. Back in a moment on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Esther is 17 years old and part of the Maasai tribe in Kenya, Africa. Like many of her age and gender, Esther was subjected to practices not taught in the Bible. One is arranged marriage, where a woman is forced to marry someone she doesn't know. The other is female circumcision, done out of superstitious belief with no known health benefit. Esther lived with bitter unforgiveness until a Bible League volunteer introduced her to Jesus. Now she's led her husband to Christ, and she's seen 60 young women come to embrace the hope of the gospel. But Bibles are scarce in this part of Kenya. So please join Bible League in sending God's word to Bibleist believers in Africa and around the world for only $5. 20 Bibles costs $100. Make your most generous gift by calling 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D. That's 800 937 9673. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. 
This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something I give me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of 2019. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. As Americans, we all appreciate, or at least most of us appreciate, the American Revolution, which was birthed in liberty and the ideals that have formed our great country. But if you look at the revolutions of the 20th century, it's a different story. We really need to learn about these revolutionary monsters. It's the name of the book by Dr. Donald Critchlow, who is joining us. Don, you were talking about Vladimir Lenin before we went to the break. And and you mentioned something that I actually knew about and, and not a lot of people realized that was his brother wanting to murder the Czar, wasn't it the Tsar's father? And then Tsar Nicholas was the one he and his family were executed and that birthed the Bolshevik Revolution from there. But Lenin was just a nasty, rotten, you know, how do you even describe him? He was a monster. That's the perfect description. Well, he, he really is as much committed to uh, terrorism uh, early as a revolutionary. And then when he gets into power, he understands the need to uh, terrorize uh, the people, the general people, in order to make them obedient. And he began, He immediately declares one-party rule, uh, eliminating other, uh, re- even revolutionary groups, and then begins to purge uh, the Bolshevik party itself. So you begin to create uh, a, a cult of personality, and this pattern is seen in Mao, it's seen in Castro, it's seen in Mugabe, and it's seen in uh, Khomeini. But the, I do want to, and, and, and I think the seriousness of what we face with our young is, and I'll tell you uh, a story about the difference between the American political revolution and the, uh, and the uh, socialist revolutions that call for social equality. And I mentioned, we were discussing this in class the other day, the difference between political and social revolutions. And one student who was a history major, by the way, had not heard about, had never heard that Poland had been a communist country, and he had not heard of the, of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Wow. So we're, we're, <laughs> I know. Oh. Uh, so it's not that the students are, uh, are not being taught history. The, the problem is that they're being taught a history through identity theory, sexual, gender, and uh, racial identity, and they're not being taught major, major uh, events such as the fall of the Mm. Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War. So that's one of the reasons I wrote uh, 
primary reason I wrote uh, Revolutionary uh, Monsters. Yeah, I'm glad that you did. You can pass it out to everybody under the age of 21. It would be a good idea. That's terrifying, but hopefully it was good for him to be in your class. Let's go to Mao Zedong in China. You had mentioned China before, and China is becoming a bigger and bigger problem in our window, as it were. This was somebody who is just another incredible monster, came to power in China, directly responsible for the deaths of at least 42 million people. Talk about Mao, because he's not as well-known, I don't think, and the, the details are not as well-known, maybe, as some of the Eastern Bloc countries. Well, Poland accepted, if you're talking about that one student. But the Soviet Empire is a little bit, maybe, w- more well-known in, in terms of the details. What should we know about Mao? What should especially younger Americans know about how that cultural revolution was unleashed? Well, again, uh, Mao is coming, is university-educated, uh, uh, he often declares himself uh, a peasant, but he was actually came from a fairly wealthy uh, peasant background. His father uh, employed uh, other peasants, and then he uh, they send him off to university, and there he encounters uh, Marxism. When he comes to power, it's all about power. A cult of uh, Mao is uh, developed. Uh, the the cult of personality of Mao is still continuing. Uh, in order to maintain power uh, against reformers within his own power, he unleashes the Cultural Revolution, uh, which which is uh, an example of how cultural revolutions uh, work, in which you uh, struggle groups are formed. Uh, continuous in which people have to confess having uh, bad ideas or having even unconscious bad ideas. And so we're seeing a kind of a pattern, a cultural revolution uh, through critical race theory uh, and uh, diversity training in, uh, in, in not only our schools, but our corporations and even our military, which is particularly uh, frightening. Yes. So it's, it's a kind of cultural revolution where you get people to, to, in fact, confess that they either have conscious or even unconscious ideas and they're enemies of the uh, state. Well, considering that these revolutions always tout a perfected society and equality and equity or whatever verbiage you want to use to describe what kind of nirvana awaits us if we go down the road of revolution, why is it that revolutions of this type always end in mass murder and purging and horrors for anybody who doesn't go along with it? It it just is the same pattern that keeps getting repeated. And I'm wondering how many Americans have ever really put two and two together that these revolutionaries always kill their enemies. Yes, they uh, all of them think they're going to uh, start recreate history, start a new historical chapter in the history of humankind. The French revolutionaries uh, set a pattern for this in the French Revolution through the Committee of Public Safety, and they declare the year zero. Uh, and what happens is when you try to create a perfect society, it fails, uh, and then the uh, the revolutionary monsters seek only uh, power in itself, in order to uh, because the 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 people their followers realize that this isn't working very well, uh, and then they uh, and then these revolutionaries begin to reinforce the terrorism that was begun, create a gulag system and a secret police and uh, and party cadres 
uh, on the local to report uh, dissenters. And so we see already in each of these revolutions calls for perfection, creating a, a new chapter in human uh, history, and it fails. And then in order to maintain power, uh, uh, totalitarian stakes are uh, created. Yeah. Uh, Janet, the... Uh, for example, in the Russian Revolution, Trotsky and Kolek declares, who's a comrade of Lenin, uh, declares that the new socialist man is going to be created, and this new socialist man would walk more erect, sing in a new voice, and even have a new voice, and be able to sing differently than the former oppressed uh, worker under the capitalist system. I mean, mm. it's just not that they're going to have new thoughts, they're going to have new physical uh, characteristics. Mm. It's, it's, it's utopianism beyond, uh, beyond uh, belief. It really is. You had mentioned another one of your monsters, which is Robert Mugabe, the first prime minister of Zimbabwe. One of the things that you talk about is the fact that obviously he was a Marxist revolutionary, but also the anti-white rhetoric. This is, I think, something to talk about a little bit more as it relates to the United States right now with the advocation, you know, the advocating of critical race theory and white supremacy and white power and all that. How do you see these ideas having played out when Mugabe was in charge there in Zimbabwe as a cautionary tale to us? Well, Mugabe uh, comes into uh, power very welcomed by the uh, Western press, much like Lenin, Mao, and Castro. He's great. He's He's projected as the new uh, revolutionary concerned about the, uh, the new leader concerned about the uh, people. And uh, Mugabe's record before coming into uh, power was one of, uh, of care. Uh, he, he, had a, he organized a disciplined uh, revolutionary party, eliminating not only attacking uh, the white power structure, which actually needed to be uh, changed, but also attacking uh, rivals. So when Mugabe comes into power, as I discussed in Revolutionary Monsters, one of his first acts is to organize uh, North Korean-trained uh, troops, black troops that go into another village, they go into a rival tribe, burn villages, rape women, and then, uh, and then starve the people to, to death. Tens of thousands of people will die under uh, Mugabe. I think that actually there, there should be a documentary of uh, Mugabe yeah. that uh, because he's really a forgotten figure in our uh, in our uh, history. Well, right, and and you mentioned that he encouraged Black Zimbabweans to violently seize white-owned farms. I mean, this is reminiscent of well, it came before, but of South Africa. What's been going on in South Africa? Yeah, well, the, uh, they're uh, they unleash uh, uh, basically former soldiers and then the youth. To, uh, to seize uh, uh, fa- white farms. So Rhodesia or Zimbabwe used to be the breadbasket of Africa. Now they can't uh, feed their own uh, people. They seize the farms often, uh, and the farms are given to members of uh, his party, and corruption prevails in Zimbabwe uh, today. So today, people are facing food shortages and inflated prices, and they have a ruling elite uh, that's, uh, that's as totalitarian, well, as oppressive as any, as, 
as any former regime. Terrible. Well, bringing it home to the United States, what do you think is necessary to return America to its right mind and resist these American revolutionaries who are trying to upend our country? Yeah, look, I think we should all be concerned about this quiet revolution. Uh, I do think there's a backlash uh, that's uh, that's been seen in parent protests uh, over school boards. But we should all be really frightened by the DOJ, uh, Department of Justice, and politicized FBI now declaring that they're going to investigate parents. Uh, who are concerned about racial indoctrination of their kids as potential uh, domestic terrorists. So what my small contribution, I understand that it was small, was to to write revolutionary uh, monsters. But we need to really uh, stand uh, stand up here and under uh, understand that this is a battle unlike anything that we've uh, that we faced in terms of uh, a really complete left uh, take takeover. People were concerned about Obama. I mean, this is uh, Obama on steroids under uh, Biden. Yep, you, complete, they're, they're looking for a complete transformation of this nation. You're totally right. Oh, boy, we need to stand up. Dr. Donald Critchlow, Revolutionary Monsters is his great book. And thank you so much, Don, for being with us. It was great to have you. Thank you very, very much. God bless. Thank you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, everybody, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of us here at Janet Mefford Today for supporting the great ministry Heart for Lebanon. So many of you have called and gone online and offered gifts. I know that it's a difficult time with inflation and costs of everything seem to be climbing exponentially, whether it's the grocery store or the gas pump. I know it's a tough time for a lot of people, but I just want to thank you, those of you who are really operating out of a heart for missions, because Heart for Lebanon is there in the refugee camps of Lebanon, where there are so many thousands of people who are from Muslim backgrounds waiting for help. They're absolutely desperate for help, and Heart for Lebanon is there sharing the gospel with them and giving their children, Christian education, offering Bible studies, and there are even churches there. These people are getting saved. It, it's it's just unbelievably encouraging to hear all of the great news that is coming out of this ministry. I want to play for you one testimony of one little boy that Heart for Lebanon has helped. Listen. Hello, my name is Zahar. I'm 14 years old, and I live in Delhamia, and I moved to Lebanon because of the war. My home fell down. I thank God for Lebanon because he learned me about Jesus. Jesus changed me for best. I love Jesus so much. 
Jesus changed me. Oh, just the heart of a child. It's so heartwarming. You know, this is what is happening when you were donating a heart for Lebanon. You were helping people like that little boy, Aharf. And your gift of $116 will provide a child like him and his family with survival essentials for four whole months. And of course, that's just a door opening so they can minister to these families and gain their trust and introduce them to Jesus Christ for the first time. And all these children are learning the Bible. It's just such a great, great cause. If you'd like to help, there's still time. You can give a gift of $29 a month as well. Any amount you can give is more than welcome. So you can call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I want to focus a little bit on this climate change issue. Yes, we have to. Did you hear about this insane story that's come out? This is the headline on the Hill. Canadian woman becomes first person diagnosed as suffering from climate change. Boy, that's a stretch. Here's what they say. This Canadian woman could be the first patient to be diagnosed as suffering from climate change after doctors said heat waves and poor air quality brought on acute breathing problems. Right, because the world has never had heat waves or poor air quality before. Kyle Merritt, an emergency room doctor in Nelson, British Columbia, who was responsible for the diagnosis, told Glacier Media that it was the first time in a decade he had determined a patient's cause of suffering to be climate change, saying if we're not looking at the underlying cause and we're just treating the symptoms, we're just going to keep falling further and further behind. He's an emergency room doctor slash climate expert. Merritt added that the patient in her 70s was diagnosed in the summer shortly after a heat wave in June sent temperatures soaring past 121 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that's terrible. That's really hot, but that's not out of line for even some parts of the United States. Record-breaking heat in Canada this summer is believed to have killed more than 500 people in British Columbia alone. Wildfires caused the air quality in the province to become 43 times worse than levels deemed acceptably safe through July and August. Now, listen to what this doctor said. This woman has diabetes. She has some heart failure. She lives in a trailer. There's no air conditioning. All of her health problems have been worsened and she's really struggling to stay hydrated. Okay, I'm sorry, but wouldn't a normal doctor say you're really in bad shape with breathing problems because you have heart failure, you live in a trailer, it's been really hot, you have no air conditioning, you have diabetes, which can complicate all kinds of things in the human body. No, let's blame the climate. This is how far these people are taking it. Now, here's another piece of news out of that same playbook. President Joe Biden's pick for a top banking regulatory position says we want oil and gas companies to go bankrupt. Terrific. Put her in charge. Uh, Sally Omarova, a law professor at Cornell who graduated in the USSR, to tell you something, has faced pushback over her nomination to be comptroller of the currency from business groups and Republicans who have said that she is extreme and opposed to the industry as a whole. You think? This is the Washington Examiner reporting a video of her discussing the idea of a national investment authority. I don't like the sound of that. A new government bureaucracy that would act directly in financial markets to allocate both public and private capital to fight social ills. Camp out on that for a moment and consider what these radicals would do with that kind of an agency. Uh, Anyway, this video has resurfaced where she is musing about oil and coal companies failing in order to fight climate change. 
She said a lot of the smaller players in that industry are going to probably go bankrupt in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change. Easy for you to say. You're not working on a pipeline. You probably don't have any problems when you pull up to a gasoline pump paying $4 for a gallon of gas or $5 for a gallon of gas. Who knows how high it's going to go? Because now they're even considering shutting down yet another pipeline. This isn't helping the United States. This is destroying the United States. What climate crisis? I mean, how many different statistics do we have to go through in order to make the case that so many of these predictions have been absolutely wrong, not to mention the climate gate scandals. Remember that? The University of East Anglia, where these researchers were caught finagling the data and falsifying it and, and touting it as draconian. And in fact, the numbers were not what they were saying they were. These people want global wealth redistribution, period, end of story. This is what they're using as their excuse for putting it into place. And your pocketbook will be affected. Believe me. Look at everything in this infrastructure bill recently passed by the House of Representatives. $1.1 trillion and a whole lot of it is climate change based. Oh, we need electric buses. Oh, Pete Buttigieg says that bridges and highways are racist. Oh, we must get rid of that. These people are going to bankrupt our country. They don't care. What do they care? They're going around in their private jets while they lecture you about your carbon emissions. Unbelievable. Let's go to Al Gore. I'm not going to be able to get all of this in before the break, but I'm going to get in at least one of these cuts. This is incredible. This is via Summit News. Speaking from the private jet and super yacht owners gathering, otherwise known as the COP26 Summit, Al Gore touted his latest solution to curb carbon emissions, mass surveillance via satellite sensors and artificial intelligence. Here is Andrea Mitchell talking to Al Gore about this, and she posed the question, you've said there's a sustainability revolution. How confident are you that the pledges at the summit will lead to actual change? Here is former vice president and climate king, Al Gore. Cut one. Well, we are in the early stages of the biggest uh, sustainability revolution in history. You know, last year, if you look at all of the new electricity generation uh, built and installed worldwide, 90% of it was renewable, virtually all of that wind and solar. Electric vehicles are coming on very, very rapidly. Within two years will be cheaper than their internal combustion engine counterparts. And the pledges that have been made here have to be kept. But here's the difference this time around. We're going to have real-time monitoring of where the emissions are coming from and who's responsible for them. So uh, companies, institutions, investors, Uh, anybody that's made a pledge, they're going to be held to that pledge. And the United Nations Secretary General announced a new institution to monitor and assess all of the net zero pledges from uh, companies and others. And those who don't keep their pledges are going to be called out this time around. So the, the ability to greenwash is going to be diminished quite considerably. Terrific. What could go wrong with a U.N. mass surveillance program? Real-time monitoring of those who have pledged to reduce their carbon emissions. Big Brother's watching you. Oh, Big Brother is watching you. Now, the question is, will Big Brother also be holding accountable all of these yacht owners and all of these private jet owners who are the Al Gore sets, the incredible hypocrites, the Prince Harry's and Meghan Markle's of the world lecturing everybody about their carbon footprint while they jet around and drive their big SUVs. They don't care about you. 
They don't care about you. In fact, there's a new report out from the Institute for European Environmental Policy and the Stockholm Environment Institute that found that by 2030, the carbon footprints of the wealthiest 1% of humanity are on track to be 30 times larger than the size compatible with limiting global warming to 1.5 degree Celsius by the end of the century. So it's the Al Gore crowd who's going to be the biggest problem. Will they be monitored? We'll take a break and come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. The U.N. has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of 100 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. You must reduce your carbon emissions, you terrible person, you, because we want your bank account. Why don't they just say that? We want your bank account and we're using climate change to try to extract your money from you because we don't tax you enough already and we don't really care about Solyndra and we don't really care about all the errors in An Inconvenient Truth, that infamous film put out by former Vice President Al Gore about 15 years ago. We, we don't care. You're supposed to forget about that. Forget about ClimateGate 1 and 2, those scandals that caused a lot of ruckus in the news for about 10 minutes after the media suppressed it all. You're not supposed to remember all that. You're not supposed to think for yourself, hand over your wallet or we will take it from you. That's really the sentiment coming from these people. So you have a Biden pick for a top banking regulatory position saying we want the oil and gas industry to go bankrupt. Yeah, put her in charge. That's a fantastic notion. And you have Al Gore on this inter- in this interview with MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell declaring that the technology, which, by the way, is created by the Climate Trace Coalition, will be monitoring greenhouse gas emissions and rooting out the culprits. 
Interesting. Mitchell asks about this Climate Trace Coalition using satellites to monitor greenhouse gas emissions. And she asked the former vice president, how significant will this technology be for holding countries and companies accountable? This is what Al Gore said. Listen closely. Cut to. We use the, it's a coalition of artificial intelligence companies and uh, NGOs. We get data continuously from 300 existing satellites, more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and using artificial intelligence, all that information is combined, visible light, infrared, all of the other information uh, that is brought in, and we can now accurately determine where the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. And next year, we'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, uh, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible for each of those greenhouse gas emission streams. And if investors or governments or uh, civil society activists want to hold them responsible, they will have the information upon which to base their action in holding them responsible. Let me see if I can interpret what you just heard in that clip. They're going to have data and they're getting data, I should say, consistently from 300 satellites, 11,000 ground-based and air-based and water-based sensors, data streams on the internet, AI, this is what is being used to do all of this. And then they use all that information and determine where greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. Here's my question. What, what if they're wrong? Who holds them accountable for determining who runs afoul of greenhouse gas emissions output? Who holds them accountable? They hold themselves accountable. They don't care. Nobody's going to hold them accountable. They're at the top of the pyramid and it doesn't matter about anybody else. I don't believe anybody at all is going to be holding them accountable because nobody ever does with this group except us. That's where we have to come in. And next year, Gore says they're going to have it down to the level of every single power plant, every refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump. Really, are you going to monitor through AI the dumpster behind the McDonald's? Are you going to do that to see if there's any carbon emissions? Are you going to go after the cows in Iowa? Are you going to be monitoring all of that? This is Big Brother on steroids, and it's here, folks. This is Book of Revelation type stuff. We are so close. I, I, am, I, I am amazed, amazed, but also a little thrilled. Not at what is happening globally, but I'm a little thrilled that in light of where everything is heading globally, I know the promises of God are true. And I know that Jesus Christ will come back at any time. So be ready. Don't get caught flat-footed because he could come back at any time. And that part is exciting. What I want to know is this part of what he said about civil society activists and governments and investors, but especially civil society activists, well, maybe not especially, but in addition to being uh, the, the, the purview of the investors or the governments wanting to hold these scofflaws responsible, then they're going to have the information. Great. So you're just going to send Antifa over to the local refinery to try to shut it down. You're going to send Antifa over to the local waste dump. That might be a good place for them, actually. Uh, Or over to ships and planes. What do you think this is going to do? What, What will this do to all of this? If the oil and gas companies go bankrupt, you're landlocked. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. Your car, forget it. Airplanes, forget it. You're not going to get around. But I don't think that they're going to ground their own jets. Here's another thing. 
John Kerry, probably one of the biggest climate hypocrites of all time, the former Secretary of State, wannabe presidential hopeful who didn't get elected. Thank the Lord for that. But he's back as the climate czar for the Biden administration. And he's saying that we're going to get rid of coal by 2030, which, according to reports in Breitbart and elsewhere, that accounts for 10 percent of our energy production here in the United States. So you cut off the pipelines, you bankrupt the oil and gas companies, you phase out the coal. What's left? Oh, solar panels, solar panels and those weird looking wind spinning things out in the middle of nowhere. You might live near some of them. I know there are a lot of them out, for example, in West Texas and lots of other places around the country, California and so forth. I, that, that, that worked really well, might I add, back this past winter in Texas. That just worked terrific. You remember Snowpocalypse? You remember that? Where they iced up and, and they couldn't get power to the people of Texas and people were without power for days and days. Wait a minute. I thought all of this great green energy was going to come in and save the day. It's not about energy and it's not about green anything. It's about wealth redistribution. That's all. It's just Marxism with a green face. We have to remember that. We have to remember what they're up to. And it's why President Trump was smart about this issue when he was in office. But they, of course, see him as the ultimate villain. I want to talk a little bit, though, very briefly, going back to a story that the Epic Times put out in February about John Kerry. John Kerry is such a hypocrite. And they say John John Kerry is a hypocrite and should not be taken seriously on climate change. And you can go into the whole thing. This is when he was put in as climate czar by Joe Biden. And it's interesting to say they call him the Paul Revere of climate change. He owns multiple lavish homes. His primary residence is a $12 million mansion just off Martha's Vineyard showing he's not that concerned about sea level rise from climate change, nor, by the way, is Barack Obama. Didn't he build a mansion out on the East Coast right by the ocean? Yeah. Carrie's home also emits far greater carbon dioxide than most Americans' homes. Oh, he's owned a Gulfstream jet since 2005. So for the past 16 years, he's been trekking around the globe spewing untold amounts of carbon dioxide. He owns multiple cars and yachts amid his vast array of gas-guzzling carbon dioxide-emitting vehicles. So the newly named climate envoy who constantly lectures hardworking Americans that they need to reduce their carbon footprint and drastically change their way of life is an utter hypocrite when it comes to practicing what he preaches. But that's only the tip of the iceberg because he wants to destroy the fossil fuel industry and the millions of direct and indirect jobs that the industry supports. He said, quote, coal plants have been closing over the last 20 years. So what President Biden wants to do is make sure those folks have better choices, that they have alternatives. They can be the people who go to work to make the solar panels. Sure, John. By better choices, Kerry means choices that elites like him deem better. And his disregard of the thousands of hardworking Americans who he dismissively says can make the solar panels shows how out of touch this man is with regular people. He's not a climate scientist. He's a lifelong politician. He's a hypocrite who lectures the world about the dangers of greenhouse gases while flying in private jets, living like a king, spewing much more carbon dioxide in one month than most people will over the course of their entire lives. When it comes to his harangues about climate change as an existential threat, they say Americans should simply ignore John Kerry. This was back in February. I agree, but you can't ignore these people because they're in charge. You can't ignore John Kerry. You can't ignore Al Gore. You can't ignore Joe Biden or any of his horrific appointees. 
Is there a good one among them? Merrick Garland's going after parents for showing up at school board meetings and objecting to critical race theory and wokeness being shoved down their kids' throats while they're being called white supremacists. Didn't turn out so well in Virginia, did it, for the governor and the the Democrat, uh, Terry McAuliffe. It didn't turn out very well for him at all. These people are unhinged. They're unhinged. And I understand a lot of people have supported the Democrat Party for generations, and that's just how you vote. You know, this is why a lot of people are reassessing what is going on politically, and is this really the future we want for our country? It better not be, because it doesn't look so good. Just go into the local Walmart or maybe some of the other local stores near you and look at all the empty shelves. Oh, it's the pandemic, really? Is it really the pandemic or are you taking advantage of the situation of the pandemic to flood the country with money so people won't work? And it's just a whole host of dominoes falling down. This country needs God-fearing, freedom-loving Americans like you. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. Always a pleasure to be with you. And I hope you'll join us next time. God bless. God bless.